Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Liverpool and City keep the pressure on Chelsea, it's all change at Man United and Rafa is under the cosh at Everton. I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast and I'm joined today by Joel Sanderson-Murray Hello. and Angelina Kelly. Hello there. So the biggest question I'm going to ask on this or any podcast is coming straight off the bat today and it's this one. Is the yellow winter ball fit for purpose? Discuss. Clearly not, is it? Yes, they used to bark or the king The is the right word for it, yeah. And, and the Etihad. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Both, both, both for all. You know, you know what happened to orange balls. I mean, I don't want to sound like he da, but uh, you know, orange balls used to do the trick in the snow years ago. But uh, no, no sign of missing, and when we need them most, yeah, ninety nine percent of the time, the yellow ball is pretty pointless, really, because you can you can see you'd be able to see a white ball in and sort of a a clean grass pitch, and then when the snow comes down, the yellow ball is completely useless. It's a, it's a fucking disgrace, <laughs> if you ask me. Yeah, I think I think someone should be sacked over it against modern football yeah yeah um i'm sure we all enjoyed sean dyke striding onto the pitch at turf moor in his shirt sleeves looking like he wanted to offer the snow out for a fight yesterday that was uh, <laughs> probably my highlight of the weekend <laughs> bet he was fuming about that game being called off wasn't he bloody snowflakes again ruining his, ruining his weekend <laughs> oh. i'm not the only person to make that joke i'll just make that clear but 800 people made the same joke on Twitter, but there we go. You could have claimed that. Uh, well, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's start today. We've got nine games to talk about. We'll begin at Stamford Bridge, where Chelsea's lead at the top was cut to just one point after they drew with Manchester United on Sunday. Before we get into this game, I want to ask you, Angelina, how you're feeling as a United fan about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sacking now that the, the dust has settled somewhat. Are you, are you feeling a bit sad? Are you relieved? A bit of both, maybe? <laughs> Um, I, I think a bit of both because it's it's always a nice idea to have you know um, a, a club a club legend you know managing and when it doesn't work out it is sad and I am one of those people that like when I saw that exit view exit interview and he's like tearing up and I felt quite sorry for him I don't know why I feel sorry for him because he's still getting paid <laughs> he was terrible <laughs> let's be honest so. It it was the right decision, one hundred percent. But yeah, I think um, any um, you know United fan that just isn't just a full blown Ollie hater, I think everyone's going to feel a little bit like, you know what? It's a shame, but it was one hundred percent the right decision. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and I think the way that they strategically, you know, announced it of they made it look like it was a mutual agreement, or they were just you know parting ways rather than he's been completely and utterly sacked and he's been absolutely terrible. It was like, you know, you'll always be welcome. And yeah. it was a nice bit of a wishy-washy way to do it, but, you know, a, a nice way to <laughs> to kind of end it. And at the end of the day, he simply was not good enough. I think that some fans should maybe give him a little bit of credit for, you know, things were so toxic after Mourinho left. Um, and it just felt like there was constant player drama. And I do feel like Solskjaer took away a lot of that when there was a lot of stuff about Mason Greenwood and the England squad. He defended him in front of the media. Um, and I think he protected the players at certain times. You could argue that players shouldn't be protected, um, you know, but I think that there were some good things that he did. But ultimately... Those good things are nice, but you want to win trophies and you want to be playing good football and that didn't happen at the end. So yeah, I think a, a bit of both, but more than anything, I think just relieved because it's been a bit of a long time coming. 
Yeah, obviously I'm not a United fan, but it sort of reminded me of, uh, you know, taking a family pet to the vets to be put down. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> an, an act of love, but it's like, come on, mate, you are rubbish. Like your, your rubbishness is terminal. Like we do need to do something about this now. So yeah, yeah the, the, the right decision was made, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, it's official now that Ralph Rangnick will take, take over until the end of the season. Gary Neville tweeting this afternoon, welcome to the greatest football club in the world. A contract really? for six months to coach the team, a contract for two years to coach the club. Is that how you see it? Do, do you think... Uh, are you, are you feeling happy about this appointment? I love how Gary Neville tweeted that. I <laughs> think he maybe needs to needs to chill out. Greatest club in the world. Um, definitely up for debate. Um, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, Man United have um, kind of understood the assignment in that a name needed to be brought in that was respected. Um, and I think that that's what they've done. I think the idea of him sticking around as well in the background is something that fans would welcome, um, you know, a little bit of stability in what goes on behind the scenes. Um, and, you know, like I, I know that after the Chelsea game, there was a lot of discussion about, um, you know, managers that come in with, you know, six months and they still manage to turn things around. And quite a few, I think, uh, you know, Chelsea managers, I mean, look at their current manager, you know, after Lampard, he came in, they ended up winning the Champions League. Is that going to happen for Man United? I highly, highly, highly doubt it. There would have to be some serious good luck on their side for that to happen. But, you know, you don't know what could happen in six months in that even if it's just things being a little bit more positive and some better football being played and, at least a spot in some kind of European position, maybe not that conference league thing, but you know, like <laughs> Europa League or, or Champions League, you know, that, that fourth spot's going to be very difficult to get. Um, but I think we'll have to wait and see. The proof will be in the pudding if he is actually the right fit. But I think Man United, the the bosses have kind of done what they should have done in that they've panicked, brought in a name that can't really be complained about too much because it's a very respected name. Um, and I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, Joel, as someone else who's very much a, a non-Manchester United fan, are you concerned that they, they might have actually done something quite clever for, for the first time in a while here? It's certainly interesting. Um, you know, it's an interesting appointment and what they're going to try and do with him will will be interested. Um, I mean, he's a guy who's got a really good reputation for, you know, obviously for the football he likes to play, but also for, for building structures and, and building clubs up from the bottom, and, you know, like he did with Hoffenheim, like he did with RB Leipzig and and you know he had money to to do those things, uh, and help to help along those sort of cycles when when he was there, and he lost that sort of money at Manchester United, if if not more. Um, so that would certainly be interesting. I mean, if I was my United fan, I would be excited now. Um, you know, the jury would obviously be out whether whether this this will work. Or, you know, I mean. To be seen, that's the same with any appointments from any football club. And my obviously, my cynicism as a sort of non United fan, I would think, you know, you know, are they just doing this because they're following the, the flavor of the month of yeah. you know, high yeah. press and football seems to be the thing that's working most in, in, in the Premier League at the moment? So, you know, let's go and get the guy who you know, inverted commons help invent that. Um, but so, so, so maybe it's that. But I, I, I mean, I, I, that that's just me sort of trying to cling on to something that that's not necessarily going to be the case. And it it will be exciting. It's just whether whether he can implement what his style of play and what he wants from this squad at the moment is going to be a tough ask. Um, everyone's made the point ten times over about Ronaldo and whether he can press, and and I, I don't think he will be able to make you know get Ronaldo to turn to Roberto Firmino point two, let's say. <laughs> But it's about whether he can get the the midfielders behind him and the attackers either side and to to do the work for him, and um, that remains to be seen. But it, it, it's it's something to keep an eye on. It is exciting if you're a United fan. Um, 
you know, and, and, and maybe I think Liverpool Man City Chelsea fans might be a little bit more concerned than they were two weeks ago. But in, in terms of a title challenge this year, I think it's maybe too far gone. But you know, it's just whether he lays the groundwork to make Man United great again, which yeah. he, he might well do. Well, it's this consultancy role for two years that's the interesting part, I think. I think they've already kind of written off this season, haven't they? And anything yeah. that happens this season is a bonus mm. now, really. But if he sticks around and does kind of oversee the development of the club a little bit and, and get some nice structures in place, I mean, I, I think our colleague Lewis Ambrose put it right the other day when he said to me that uh, it's like they finally finally realised that someone needs to babysit the kids and, and all these kind of <laughs> <laughs> executives they've hired, you know, John Murto as the director of football and stuff like that. They, they, yeah, they, they yeah. need someone to point them in the right direction, really, because they're a bit rudderless at the moment, aren't they, really? So. They need that for years. They've they needed the structure for years, Manchester United, because you know they, they are probably the biggest football club in the world, if not you know, in that top three, four. And But they, they've sort of rested on their laurels for, for a long time and rested on the laurels of Alex Ferguson's success. And, and at the mm. same that Liverpool did in, in the 1980s, 1990s, they sort of thought, you know, they're, they're too famous to, to ever, you know, fuck up, if a, to, to think of a better phrase. But, but that's what they have done for, for a few years now. And they've sort of got a bit lazy, but because they've had enough money, they've been able to sort of keep making mistakes because they've got enough money to, to make the mistake again and, and, and back it up. And now they realise that football's maybe moved on past the Ferguson era and that they need to sort of be a bit more sort of organised and have a bit of an identity, have these structures in place and maybe this is the sign they're going to do it. And there's a, so it is an exciting appointment in that case. Yeah, but as I said to you, Joel, the other day, I could see it going horribly wrong as well. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's one to keep an eye you can on, hope. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, how do you think, Angelina, that Michael Carrick did in his two games in charge? The results were good, you know, win against Villarreal, draw at Chelsea. What about the performances? Did you see an improvement? Um, it, it was a little bit strange because, especially after watching Carrick's interviews after the Chelsea game, I think he's been drinking the Ollie Kool Aid in that he <laughs> seems to think that everything's all right and um, I know that obviously a lot of people have been talking about the comments that Roy Keane made and the argument that was absolutely hysterical between him and Jamie Carragher <laughs> I think for the first time in my life I was agreeing with with Carragher it was quite <laughs> bizarre for me um, but um, but you know he Roy Keane was kind of right in that he has to take some responsibility as well because he has also been there it's not just like he's been brought in and thrown into the fire he's been responsible for some of these terrible moments as well but you know at the end of the day he did what he needed to do in that he kept the ship you know stable the Villarreal performance wasn't great let's be honest um tactically I think he got it a little bit more you know right with Chelsea and that you know it, it was a draw at the end of the day but I think that um Man United were extremely lucky um in that performance as well and obviously they've got a good goalkeeper in De Gea as well. Um, so I think there were a, a few things that worked in Carrick's favour. So I don't really kind of want to give him all of the, you know, the the positives of it was all down to him because I don't think it was. Um, I think he just has, has kind of done a, a good job of of keeping things stable. But I think f it was more for me, those comments that he made after the game that made me realise like, you are a little bit delusional here, mate. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, to answer your question, yeah, the results were were good. It's kind of sad that you that oh god, we've managed to win against Villarreal, and you know normally you would like to be competing. You know when you when you're playing Chelsea, you want to be kind of going for the win. Whereas we, you know, me and my United friends, we were all predicting that we were going to absolutely hammered. And it's kind of sad when you're walking away from games with a draw thinking, oh my God, that's the best result that could have come <laughs> out of it. Do you know what I mean? It's it's not really anything to be celebrated for me. But yeah, he kept the, st uh, the ship pretty stable. So 
great you know and if he ends up leaving um with you know the the new permanent manager or the interim manager or whatever i'm not going to be uh crying over his departure <laughs> put it that way yeah we were having a bit of a chat last week on the podcast about uh, manager attire and I'm, I'm not sure how i feel about a caretaker manager wearing the whole suit and tie get up i think it, it sort of smacks mm. of opportunism to me that is you should be wearing sort of yeah a track suit. don't just, get too comfortable you, mate yeah you're literally the caretaker like yeah you don't see the school caretaker walking about dressed like a teacher do you it's true uh, yeah John Carver did it when Newcastle sacked. I think it was was it Pardew maybe. It was, mm-hmm. John Carver took over, and then he was like this. He looked like a janitor as well. To be fair, he was a coach who, who stepped in for the end of the season, and he, he wore a he wore a suit in the first game. And I thought, you absolute charlatan! <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I think it's the worst thing about football today. To be honest, Dan. Yeah, I, it, I do think it's a situation where he thought, you know what, I am one. 100% only going to get a, a push three games so I'm going to live in my own because we can see he's so delusional I'm going to live in this bubble where I'm the actual manager <laughs> I am the actual manager and I'm going to dress according I think he genuinely thought that in his head and it is a seriously problematic thing because you've got to know your place yeah well you know what they say as well um uh dress for the job you want not the job you have so maybe there's a bit of that going on (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i I sort of felt like his decision to drop cristiano ronaldo at chelsea was a bit of a look at me i'm not afraid to make the big decisions kind of move uh you know a a little wink and a nudge to any potential future employers out there that i'm yeah bold as brass made it what did you think of that one joel do you think that was the right call i mean obviously there's there's been a lot of talk about cristiano ronaldo's lack of pressing and, and whether that has been harming United in recent weeks was was dropping him and, and going with three in the middle the right call here? It was, it was definitely a ballsy move um, in terms of whether it was the right one I, I guess in, in a way it was because they come out with a point and I think you look at that team and the way he set up with you know Fred and Manny Matic and Scott McTominay in the middle the idea was probably to try and get a point at best and, and as Angelina said probably the best result they could have, they could have hoped for and I think taking Ronaldo out was probably attuned to that, but I'm not quite sure whether Bruno Fernandez actually impressed enough and, and did enough for the team in, in, in his place. Fernandez was the, the, probably the most central forward of, of the three with Sancho and, um, and Rashford as well. So I don't, I don't think Fernandez did as much as Ronaldo probably would have done, to be fair. But I, I, I think it's actually sometimes that can be a, a decent move in, in a game like that where it is, it, it's bound to be tight and. You know, you're looking at 65, 65, 70 minutes and, you know, you look over you know, the opposition team, you're looking over and um, Cristiano Ronaldo's coming on, uh, coming off the bench. You know, I think that would put sort of the, the jitters up a few, up the opposition. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, maybe that's something that, that can be thought of because if, if they're sort of, you know, the, the game's on knife edge and then you've got 20 minutes just to throw balls into the box of Ronaldo to, to jump out, that's... Um, that's not a bad tactic to have. So, but it, it proves to be the right one because it got the right results, or they got a decent results in the end. Um, but you know, let, let's see whether whether Ralph will um, follow Carrick's <laughs> yeah. ballsy statements. Yeah. <laughs> well, if Angelina not starting Ronaldo was the correct call, was bringing him on and taking Sancho off at that point in the game the correct call? Because I felt like that killed a bit of momentum that United had sort of built up from nowhere with Sancho's goal. It seemed strange to take him off at that point. I kind of understand why it was done, but I was kind of feeling the same thing, I think, especially when it was it was very obvious. It comes across to me maybe that Sancho's confidence is not, you know, what we saw. He's not the same player that we saw in the Bundesliga, and, and I'm not hating on him because I don't think it's um, entirely his fault. I think the situation as well doesn't help. Um, so I feel like it would have been nice to have kept him on. Um 
especially getting that goal under his belt that would have maybe you know given him a little bit more fire in his belly like you say it kind of killed the momentum a little bit um and maybe we could have seen a change in formation where Ronaldo could have still come on and, and kept Sancho on um but obviously getting into tactics and stuff like that yeah. so yeah for me um I would have liked to have seen him on a, a little bit longer and I am really hoping that my man Ralph um, utilises uh, Sancho and gets, you know, the best out of him because we all know he's, he is a phenomenal talent. We just need to see it a bit more. My man Ralph, you must be the first yeah. person who's ever said that before. <laughs> my man Ralph, yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Sancho's confidence. I mean, I saw him running through on goal there, Joel, and I thought he was going to miss, actually. I thought he was going to fuck it up. Yeah, yeah. Do you think the fact that he he did score and the fact that he he could have easily just passed that to Rashford, the, the fact that he took that chance on himself and scored, that that's going to do his confidence the world of good now? After yeah, I think the scoring the goal against Villarreal has done it for him. Um, because yeah, I, I don't think he he takes that chance yesterday. Yeah, I think he lays it on the plate to Rashford if he if he hadn't already broken his duck in in midweek. Um, I, I think there's a little glimmer there for United fans to cling on to because it's not just the finish is really good, but it's a little like shimmy he does to sort of uh, confuse Edouard Mendy and make him think like, oh lad, I'm going to pass it to Rashford here. You know, maybe we should uh, go and. You know, guide that and, and save that, and then they just uh, as Mendy's body sort of goes the opposite way, he just thinks it past him, and I think that was really clever. And it's just the you know a little glimmer of the talent that Sancho has, and um, but yeah, it, it is it is a strange one because you know you got a lad there who's you know now just scored two goals and two, and then within five ten minutes he gets he gets taken off, and I think that was a strange position actually to be fair. Because one was I also think Rashford was actually I think he was quite ineffective yesterday, and mm. you never know with Sancho, and now he's sort of broken his duck and he's got his first prem goal as well wherever he could have gone on and scored the winner himself yesterday but you know it wasn't to be Indeed, uh, Jorginho made the horrific error for that uh, for that first goal, but then he, he atoned for it with his equaliser from the penalty spot. Did you have any complaints about that penalty decision, Angelina? Was was Wambisaka a little bit unlucky there? Maybe. Uh, I think it was a penalty. I know, again, Carrick said that it definitely wasn't. Um, I'm not too sure what he was looking at. Um, and it's it, it, for me, it was more, I didn't have any complaints when I saw it. Um, there's There's been other situations, you know, over the years where you, you kind of want to check it a few times and you might be a little bit frustrated with it. But I, I kind of, I, I wasn't feeling that way when I saw it. But it was just a little bit worrying with Wan-Bissaka because, you know, since he's been at Man United... You know, it was a little bit shaky, then he seemed to come really good and it seemed like he was really progressing. But in some recent games, we've really not seen the best out of him and decisions like that do kind of worry me, especially when you're looking at that right-back position and who else do Man United really have? Apart, Yeah, you've got Dalot, but really, do you know what I mean? Um, and maybe those rumours of a, of a player like Kieran Trippier at the time, I think a few fans were thinking... No, no, no. We've got one Basaka, but after that decision, God knows what else could end up happening as the season goes on. Maybe those rumours, it's a shame they didn't come true. Yeah, to be fair, that was a pretty good block of his on, on Werner late in the game when he, he came yeah. across and snuffed that chance out. When he's good, he's good, but I just think some of the mistakes and, and defensively sometimes, he just he just worries me. Like, and it used to be Luke Shaw that worried me. And now he's not worrying me half as much. Like, I've just got constant worry. In fact, I've got worry all over. But yeah, definitely in... Um in the defence, yeah, Juan Basakri yeah. is worrying me a little bit at the moment. Indeed. Uh, Chelsea, Joel, just one point uh, clear at the top now. Got a tough uh, run of games, as everyone has, to be fair, in, in December coming up. How frustrated do you think they should be about dropping points in this game against Manchester United's Michael Carrick? Should you, should be, should you be looking to beat them at home? 
Yeah, I think they will be disappointed because you know they created more than enough chances to win that game, and um, you know United, I think they played well enough, but I think Chelsea, it's it's more two points dropped than it is you know a point gained. Um, and the thing is, you know Hudson Doyle should score in the first couple of minutes. That Dav De Gea makes a really good save, but the thing is, with Chelsea, they've been phenomenal in recent weeks, and it's it feels a bit strange sitting and maybe start to criticise them, but there's a bit of a pattern emerging with certain types of games. Um, where they do struggle to sort of get over the line because the Burnley one happened the same a couple of weeks ago where you know they go one 0 up and they, and they dominate and and they end up drawing one one okay yes they United take the lead but Chelsea the dominant team throughout and it, it's just maybe just not and, and it's weird to say this because they have scored goals recently but maybe they're just not as clinical as maybe City and Liverpool are in terms of in the box and but you know there's one thing. Coming back into there's one person coming back into the team, and one thing that's going to change that is that yeah. Romelu Lukaku. If he gets fit, that's the thing that could change it, and um, you know that that could that could solve all their issues there. But yeah, I think they'll be really disappointed from yesterday because you know even though this season maybe isn't going to be you know get to ninety ninety five points to win the league, it's still any point you drop feels feels massive, and I think I think that will be there. Uh, Tuchel definitely be disappointed from that. Yeah, he was pretty fuming with that offside decision at the end. Got himself booked there, wasn't? Oh, it? Really? don't blame him to be fair. That was really weird. That wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Liverpool made it two 4 0 wins in a row when they beat Southampton at Anfield on Saturday. Uh, do you feel like Liverpool have kind of got that uh, defeat at West Ham out of their system now, Joel? And how confident are you are you feeling about their title chances at the moment? Yeah, I think I think they have because it's you know three clean sheets in a week in all competitions. Like you said, you know two four 0 wins and and and, and they score four on uh, on Saturday against Southampton without with Sadio Mane or Mohamed Salah scoring, which is you know a, you know a rare feat. Um, uh, but but yeah, I think the West, the West Ham results is just something that can happen in the season. I think the the Brighton draw the week before was more disappointing for me, um, especially when you go ten up. And so in terms of bringing that back and, and talk about the, the title chances, it's 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 a difficult one. I, I I said after Liverpool played Man City the other week, that I think the title cha- the champions were on that pitch and. You know, Chelsea have proved maybe they shouldn't be more in the question than, than a force and in recent weeks. But I still, I still stand behind. I think Liverpool and Man City will win the league. And, and, and I am confident. I am confident at the moment. My, my only thing is I'll be more confident if, we, if we're still in it at the end of January because that's going to be the decisive month for Liverpool because, you know, all, although a lot of teams will be losing players, the African Cup of Nations, you know, Liverpool will be losing Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane and, you know, there's, there's no doubt that Liverpool will be a weakened team without those two players in it and Navi Keita as well. So if if we can somehow get to sort of the, the end of January, middle of February and still be within two points like we are now or even ahead, then, you know, I'd be a lot more confident. And at the moment, you just take it game by game. But, you know, the score... You know, pretty much an average of three goals a game at the moment, and and now it looks like they've sort of sorted out a few defensive issues, which I think we're gonna have sort of um, hurt us early on in the season. And that, if you keep following this sort of model at the moment, then I've got every reason to be confident. Yeah, I wonder if this new uh, COVID variant is going to put the uh, African Cup of Nations in jeopardy. You know, let's hope not, but uh, it's, it's a possibility, <laughs> I suppose, isn't yeah, it? At this point, well yeah. Do, uh, Diogo Jota's two goals here took him to seven for the season, meaning Liverpool now have the top three scorers in the league in Jota, Salah and Mane. That's quite impressive, isn't it, Angelina, from their point of view? 
Very impressive. I'm extremely jealous of it. Um, but no, absolutely brilliant. Um, and, you know, just as as football fans, you know, bias aside and stuff like that, that's what you want to see. You want to see talented players scoring good goals, um, you know, hitting the mark. I know that last season, even though Mo Salah still, you know, scored quite a lot of goals, put it that way, you know, I felt like there were some people, you know, st- Kind of criticising at times, you know, the the, the front three, um, which I thought was a little bit out of order. And I love the fact that this season it's kind of like anyone who had anything, even 1% negative to say, have been absolutely silenced and I'm here for it. Um, and I think it's it's fantastic. And, you know, Joel and Liverpool fans are very lucky to uh, be able to witness that week in, week out. Like I say, yeah. very jealous. Well, it's 700 goals on the clock now and Liverpool are the first top flight team in English football history to score at least uh, twice in 17 straight matches since Sunderland in 1927. So not bad at all, yeah. Uh, Thiago got on the score sheet uh, again here after his beautiful goal against Porto in the Champions League. Do you think we're we're finally seeing the best of him in a Liverpool shirt now, Joel? Definitely on, on the way to doing so. Um, I don't think there's been any doubt about Thiago's talents um, since coming in. It's just always been a question of fitness and and and, and staying fit and and um, sort of shaking off the injuries that he's been getting. And you know, he, the last couple of games, I mean, the goal he scored against Porto is just. You know his art, um, and then you know he's 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 impressive. It's just the way he sort of he sort of caresses the ball and, and, and gets us on the front foot or controls the game himself. It's 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 brilliant, and I, and I think so. And him and Fabinho, you know, as a partnership in midfield, I don't think I've lost the game when those two have started the game. So, um, you know, that, that says something about sort of the, the partnership that they have. And yeah, I, I think we are getting there. I think you know this is definitely his best run the form for the club, and it's 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 one of them that that could be the sort of ace in the hole should we say in Liverpool's title challenge yeah you've got the old Merseyside derby coming up on Wednesday you must be licking your lips about that are you <laughs> no, absolutely not I mean no matter how confident I am about, about Liverpool's title challenge it's just sort of when it comes to the Merseyside derby it's it's never a game to be confident for I mean they are awful at the moment so they're in a really bad run of form um, lost a lot of players through injury and I'm not sure how many I feel like you're smiling them. as you're speaking Joel I'm just saying like well, I can I can almost see your face smiling as you're talking about how terrible they are just saying well, well last night I did end up going on a, on a Twitter space called Everton Armageddon which is basically <laughs> full of Everton fans just absolutely losing their heads after the, the Brentford game and I, I end up listening to it for three hours just, just lying down and you know okay maybe I should be more confident than, I, than I, I'm letting on but uh Mm, we'll see. I, I don't want to say too much because it could come back to hate me. Yeah, I suppose as long as one of your players doesn't get maimed in this one, that'll be a, a decent result for Liverpool, won't it? Oh, yeah, well, yeah. Well, Jordan Pickford should not start the game, really, out of respect. <laughs> he should still be in prison, really, shouldn't he? Yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. <laughs> uh, still just 11 goals for Southampton this season. Did you think they were they were bad here, Angelina, or would Liverpool have just beaten anyone in that kind of mood? I think probably the two. I think it was just like I didn't have um, no disrespect to them, but my confidence for them was not high, um, if I'm being completely honest. Um, so, yeah, and I think the icing on top of it was that they were also extremely terrible. But like you say, I don't think that would have... I don't think it would have stopped Liverpool um, either way, but I do feel like for for Southampton fans at least, it's not even like you can walk away being like, well, you know what, everyone put in a good shift and, you know, it was 
pretty diabolical across the pitch. Yeah, they had a few chances. Adam Armstrong had one. I think Armando Brozier had a couple, but never really looked like scoring. Um, no. Interesting thing about them, they only lost three le- three away league games in the whole of 2020. They've only won two in the whole of 2021. So, um, yeah, I just never, never, never know what to make about uh, of them under, under Hasenhutl. They're just such a, a weird team, aren't they? Mm. Uh, Manchester City made it five wins in a row in all competitions when they beat West Ham on Sunday. Uh, we know what a dangerous team West Ham can be, Joel, and with the conditions being far from ideal in this game, do you think this should be considered a really big three points for City? Yeah, absolutely, because, you know, when, when the game's like that and you get those bizarre conditions that we, you know, they, they would attest to, and you just want to get out, just get, just get out with the three points, and, and City did it, and, you know, there were a few hairy moments, especially in the second half for City, where West Ham looked like they might be capable of getting the points, but I, I still think, I was always confident that City were, were sort of going to hang on and, and make it, you know, 2 0, and when they wish they did, and, okay, City get, you know, West Ham get a really good consolation goal, but I, City deserved a win, and I, I think it's, you know, West City have now sort of manoeuvred their way through, you know, one of the top four. Let's say, okay, West Ham might not be there in the season, but you know, they've been there in recent weeks and they've, they've come away from the game with three points. You know, they've already defeated against Chelsea, uh, against Liverpool, beating Chelsea, beating Man United, and they, they sort of got the, their biggest test out of the way already. Okay, mm-hmm. you play those teams again again later on in the season but they've come out of it really unscathed and I think it's it's a testament I mean a lot of City's praise a lot of the praise they get is about how how they play the football and and you know the beautiful the beauty of it and the possession that they have but you know I don't think enough gets said about the mentality that the yes. players have and and the manager has and I think you've got to go for a 100 point season and a 98 point season you don't achieve that if you haven't got big balls and if you haven't got you know the character and, and the strength to sort of when it's horrible like that and you get that in England a lot those horrible conditions getting through games and it doesn't matter if you you know you don't play the way they want to play completely all you know all the 90 minutes just get through and, and City do that quite a lot and I don't think they get enough praise for it and it was like that yesterday yeah I'm glad you said that actually because that's what I'm really enjoying about watching City this season I mean it's not it's not unique to them but they do work so hard they have such a good work mm. ethic and, and that's all you want from your team isn't it really that is the, that is the yeah. minimum you expect is your team to work hard and if they can play beautiful football great and, and City are doing both at the moment and, and it's great to watch and especially in this game yesterday I mean the game's nil-nil West Ham have a few openings early doors the snow starts coming down and I think well this is a great leveller you know this is going to really put the cat yeah, amongst the sure. pigeons and and you see that in, in games don't you when when uh, you know the sort of bunch of pampered prima donnas as City players are sometimes called um a bit a bit of adverse weather comes down and they, and they start oh I don't really fancy this but that was when City really sort of asserted their dominance on the game got the noses in front uh, probably could have had another goal before half time and and won the game in the end and it was just yeah it's just I'm just really enjoying that aspect of them of them working hard um, this season and Ilkay Gundogan scored the first goal here he he's the vice captain of the team now um, and a really really important for the team these days do you think Kevin De Bruyne still walks into the City team Angelina or, or should he now be behind Gundogan and Bernardo silver in the the midfield packing order oh that's a tough one because it's like all three you know extremely talented players although I do believe um and not just about um you know these three players but I just think in teams in general like you shouldn't just get like an automatic free pass at the end of the day if somebody is proving that they are arguably playing better than you or they're bringing something to the game that maybe you're not at that moment in time I don't think there's any shame in that's why you've got a squad of players you know what I mean you rotate you use different players for different strengths and 
things that they bring to the table. So I don't think, I'm not like, oh my God, no, we should be down at the bottom of the pecking order in comparison. <laughs> I, d- I don't think so at all. Um, but I also think there's nothing wrong with using different players to their different strengths. Um, it's it's a, a, a tough one. I, I personally don't think he should be down the pecking order because I do still think that he is one of, you know, if not the you know best midfielder in Europe. Um, on his day but um, like I say that doesn't always mean that you just get that free pass into that starting 11 and I think sometimes it can be good to you know add a little bit of um, competition to to your team in that you're not always going to get um, you know the the first spot in the in the side. Yeah it's funny that City spent 100 million pounds on Jack Grealish in the summer he was their only transfer and a lot of people are looking at it now thinking did they actually need him why did they why mm. did they make that signing what where does he kind of fit in and a lot of the talk at the time was that was that the plan for Grealish was that him and him and De Bruyne were going to play together in central midfield and now De Bruyne's you know he's got covid at the moment so he can't play anyway but he's he's not really getting in the team Grealish is injured but he's not really getting in the team when he's playing Bernardo Silva who was supposed to be leaving who I think Grealish was was signed as Bernardo Silva's replacement Bernardo Silva's still there and playing the best football of his career <laughs> and Ilkay Gundogan's you know in great form as well and and those two are holding down that spot it's just a really kind of strange turn of events that I don't think the club expected to happen really and I might have saved themselves 100 million pounds if <laughs> if they kind of seen what was what was coming really but never mind um two defeats for West Ham since beating Liverpool have cast a bit of doubt over their top four chances uh, let's assume Joel that it's going to be in some order Chelsea City and Liverpool in the top three who um, do you think will get that top four spot at this moment in time that's a tough one because you're still not sure you know what Tottenham are going to turn out to be under Antonio Conte and, and, and whether he can work his magic there and you know it's, it's still plenty of time to, to do so you know a couple of wins for Spurs and, and they'll be in the top four and you know Arsenal have made themselves contenders in recent weeks I'm, I'm still not entirely sure about their sort of credibility under, under Arteta and, and whether they'll be there to stick around and I, you know I'm, I'm Manchester United you know that they really with the talent they have they they, they should be the, what, the favourites to get there and you know, if if, if Ragnick, you know, <laughs> manages to settle in well straight away, then I think they'll be all right. But I I, I feel sorry for West Ham in, in a way because I I, I do I love watching them, especially this season. They've been great to watch, and and I, I think that you know they are where they are on the table, you know, by rights they've, they've earned it. But um, I I do wonder whether sort of if whether the the, the fact the Europa League sort of having its effect on them now, they've done really well in it. So far, you know they've you know unbeaten and they've you know finished in a top spot. But whether they sort of and it, they have been rotating a bit, but not not too much. And whether that's had a bit of an effect on them because they've not been used to playing you know, two three games a week up until this season, and whether that's just sort of catching up with them now. Um, but you know when it comes to December, that's they'll either tail off or they'll sort of regroup and and, and stay up there. And you know, David Moyes is, is is saying that that's his aim this year is to challenge the top four and. You know, I hope we do it, um, but I think they're going to have to sort of buy another forward or attacker in, in, in the January transfer window because they've only got Antonio who can play up top at the moment. I know Jared Bowen plays there a couple of times, but you don't want to take him away from his position really. Yeah. Um, so they're going to have to get in sort of a bit of help up there. But 
it's you know, a disappointing couple of weeks for them, but I I think they'll regroup in, in December and you know be around the top six. Let's say. Yeah, I, I said last week that I've, I think they need to get Jesse Lingard Jesse Lingard back in January, but who knows? Maybe he's got a, a future at Man United under Ralph Rangnick now. Maybe he's a he's a Ralph Rangnick type player. Um, pretty yeah. interesting to to look at the, the the Premier League table at the moment and see that Chelsea, City, Liverpool, and West Ham are the only four teams in the whole league who have a positive goal difference after thirteen games of the season. What do you think that tells us about the league at the moment, Angelina? That everyone's shit. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, I think that there is, um, and I, I don't want to be rude to to West Ham because at the end of the day, they they do have the positive goal difference. So, and they deserve, um, you know, the credit for that because, like Joel said, you know, it's it's great to watch them play. Is it great to see David Moyes doing so well? For me, I'm a little <laughs> bit bitter, so I don't know. Um, but no, I think that. What it does show, because um, I was looking at the table and I think the goal difference for West Ham is eight. Um, you're looking at like Liverpool, City and Chelsea, it's, you know, 20 and, and above. I think it just shows how talented, especially those three teams are, that they are just in a league of their own in some senses. And I think if I was, you know, an Arsenal fan, a Spurs fan, being a Man United fan, um, you know, other, other teams that you would expect to, you know, maybe be in the mix towards the... The, the top end of the table um well maybe not but um, but yeah you um it should you know if it wasn't already a wake up call as to how brilliant they are it should be even more of a wake up call um and you know maybe we are seeing um quite a bit of a a, a gap emerging between you know these three world class clubs um versus the rest and again I don't mean to be harsh to West Ham when I when I'm saying that because I know you know they're still in it but um but yeah and I think it just makes it very exciting to see who actually out of these other teams because I think on zero you've actually got teams like Brentford, Palace, Man United on minus one, Wolves on zero, Arsenal minus two. It'd be very interesting to see which teams Managed to try and catch up. Um, I'd like to think that not all of these teams are still going to be in the minus um, in in a few weeks. You'd like to think that there's a bit of improvement, especially if Harry Kane decides to rock up for Spurs at some point. <laughs> that would be nice. Um, but yeah, I think it just shows that, that the talent um, that those, especially those three teams have. Indeed. Uh, well, Newcastle are still winless at the bottom of the Premier League after they were beaten 2-0 at Arsenal on Saturday. Uh, the Newcastle fans clapped their team off at full time, though. It's the longest winless run from the start of a league season in their history. But are you sensing some signs of improvement already under Eddie Howe, Joel? I, I did in the, the Brentford game, the game earlier, um, when he, he seemed to sort of a bit more of a, a plan going forward. Um, but I think defensively, I mean, I, I'm not sure what they, they, they can do when they go to Arsenal. They're probably just trying to get down and come out with a point at, at best. And, mm. you know, maybe that was, that was the plan on, on Saturday. But, um, I, I, I'm not, I'm not seeing a massive improvement just yet. I think I'm still a bit concerned for them. Um, you know, the cliche, you have to wait for Newcastle. Um, I think <laughs> that's the, that's, just, that's the, the case at this stage. And, I think that the next two games are massive for them. So they play Norwich at home and, and Burnley at home as well. And I think they have to take maximum points from that if they've got any hope of staying up. Because after that, they go into December and they played Leicester, Liverpool, City and Manchester United in, in the next four, which is just, you know, you're looking at that and thinking they might not even get a, a single point out of all four games. And, you know, at, at that stage, that's, you know, you're looking at Christmas and they could be a cut adrift already. So they, they have to win the next two. And um, I think that's where we might see, you know, sort of the, the through to labour that, that Eddie 
Hal's tried to sell whether that's there's something in that. Um, I'm not sure I'm seeing it just yet, but you know, let's 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 see the uh, the ne- the next two from now. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Angelina, about those two games coming up actually against Norwich and Burnley. Is it right to say that a team has must win games in November? Yeah, I think so. When you've been as terrible as Newcastle, um, yeah, they are must-win games. Um, I mean, it's it's difficult, you know. New managers come in. He's had COVID. He's, you know, it's a bit of a waiting game, isn't it? Almost for January to see who they could actually bring in. But you would like to think that they could at least try and get what you know one or, one or two wins under the belt it would be nice to at least try and advertise themselves a little bit better to any potential you know new players I mean what are you going to say yeah we've not actually won a single game um, whereas at least if you could say you've won two games against teams that are kind of in the same boat as you so you'd think that there would be a, a you know some competition between you know Newcastle and Norwich because they're they're both pretty terrible so um I agree. I think 100% um, must win games. Um, like I say, for nothing else than just to be able to advertise themselves a little bit better yeah. when it comes to the transfer window. Yeah, that's true. They might struggle to, uh, everyone's just assuming they'll just go and throw some money about in January and be fine. But who knows? It's not appealing, is it, at the end of the day? No, no. Uh, who, was, it, was it Jamie O'Hara was saying that, um, why would you live in Newcastle? Um, Someone over the weekend was saying, "Why would you live in Newcastle if you if you had the choice of living in sort of Newcastle or, or London?" You would. Have they not watched Shorty Show? I know. I know. I was going to say. And you can build a mansion in Newcastle, and you can build a mansion in London, and have it all singing, all dancing. So I think that's a bit. Uh, listen, Newcastle is cold, and that's coming from a Mancunian. So I, I kind of get it, but at the same time, I'd, like Joel said, you know, Geordie Shaw is, you know, BAFTA worthy. So I think they need to, <laughs> you know, calm down on those statements. I went on a night out in Newcastle in December once and a bloke told me I had Ooh. no edge because I was wearing a coat in December. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and it was bloody freezing as well, yeah. So <laughs> uh, It was a lovely goal in this game from Gabriel Martinelli and a horrendous miss from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Um, what do you think, Joel, is the main thing that Arsenal are lacking at the moment that might stop them finishing top four? Is it just a bit of experience maybe or a bit of nous? It's it's a tricky one that I'm, I'm not entirely sure 100 percent at the moment. I mean, if you knew the answer to that, you'd be the manager of Arsenal, wouldn't you? Basically, oh, so yeah, no. I, I know I've, I know <laughs> I've given you a bit of a, a hospital pass there, but, but do what you can with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I deserve to be the manager of Arsenal. Uh, no, <laughs> I mean it's it's it's, it's tricky because they've obviously improved in in, in recent years you know, since the first three games of the season where they, they get nowhere near Brentford, Chelsea, or Man City, and and rightly lose. And they've definitely tightened up at the back. I think defensively they're, they're a lot better. You know, ignore last week against Liverpool. Other than that, you know, defense has been pretty solid. And you know, Saka and Smith are exciting players, but there's just I'm not quite sure what how an Arsenal goal looks like at the moment, and I know that's a weird thing to say, but you know, in a way that you know, Man City's you know a typical Man City goal is you know getting it to the byline, cutting it back, and an attacker's there to tap it in. Liverpool's is you know across from one of the wing backs into the middle. With Arsenal, I'm not sure what their way to goal is at the moment, and I think that's just the one thing I'm not quite sure about them is is you know when when they need to try and break down you know a team that can defend really well. I don't think Newcastle are that team. You know, will they come a bit more? unstuck and and you know is there enough zest in their team but they, they deserve credit because they have improved in recent weeks and I, I think 
it's just Aubameyang and Lacazette. I know they've gone four four two in recent weeks. Um, you know, not not necessarily played on Saturday, but that's been the way they've been going. You know, in the last eight nine games, and um, I'm not quite sure that's the way forward. You know, uh, in long long term, because I'm, I'm not quite sure. I think those two players, as as a partnership, might be holding them back. And I think he he sort of throw your eggs into one of them, and probably Aubameyang, mm. uh, and, and go from there. But yeah, I'm. I'm not sure of Arsenal at the moment. They deserve credit for the win on Saturday, recovering from you know the Liverpool defeat. But yeah, let's let's see on them for now. Yeah, but Kyle Saka scored the other goal here. Then went off with a, a muscle injury. Um, is that going to be bad news for them if he's out for a little while? Angelina, is he possibly their most important player these days? Well, he's like the the poster child, isn't he, of Arsenal? Um, I guess. Kevin Smith Rowe, yeah. And, yeah, and, you know, I, I agree with Joel about the whole, you know, the Lacazette, the Aubameyang situation. Um, and I think also the fact that they, well, Lacazette especially seems to be linked so many times with the departure away. And when you look at some of, like, the big names, yeah, I'm talking more maybe, like, money-wise big names, you know, like um, Nicholas Pepe, etc. You you would put Saka, you know, above that. So in some ways, I think he is definitely one of their most important players. Um, and I think it will be a shame for them. But it's also nice to see players, you know, like Smith-Rowe, Maitland-Niles, um, also do well as well. Um, and without trying to be too shady to Arsenal, um, the, the, there are some talented players like those youngsters that I've spoken about. And yeah, Saka and and um, and Smith Rowe are like the poster cha- uh, children, um, but nobody is kind of striking me as that you know absolute superstar at the mm. moment. And maybe that's something they've got to look at. But mm. no hate to Saka at all because I think he's great. Yeah, I'm going to organise a whip round to get Arsenal some new goalkeeper kits for Christmas because <laughs> I'm sick of them putting the goalkeeper in a the away kit. It's so <laughs> yeah. annoyingly tin pot. What what's going on there? I don't get it at all. Just design a goalkeeper kit that doesn't clash with the referee or whatever it is. Like it's really weird. Really weird. Uh, Steven Gerrard made it two wins from two as Aston Villa boss when his side won 2-1 away at Crystal Palace on Saturday. Um, his audition for the Liverpool job is going pretty well, isn't it, Joel, so far? <laughs> it's not bad, is it? No, <laughs> two wins out of two. Yeah, and you know, they look solid. And, Did you see match you know, of the day? You had the uh, captain him as the Liverpool manager by mistake on Saturday. Yeah, I'd be so annoyed if I was an Aston Villa <laughs> fan, you know, of that. Because I'd also... Um, I'd be annoyed if an Aston Villa fan, you know, with, with all this talk about about Gerard coming in and it just being just being just that about it being eventually he is going to move to Liverpool and become Liverpool manager. You know that that would that would wind me up because you know he's he's Aston Villa's manager. Aston Villa are a massive club. You know the club has won European cups, and so you know you know they deserve to be treated in their own right. But uh, but no, I mean he's doing well. He's, he started really well, and I think you're seeing. I think well, definitely on Saturday you're seeing sort of the remnants of of his Rangers team, where you know the, the setup well to, to to funnel the ball, you know, um, onto into the flanks and, and win the ball back there, and then and then attack that way. And yeah, it's it's not bad. I mean, Ashley Young starting as a, as a left winger of a front three is is questionable, but I guess he set it up. So, but yeah. <laughs> Okay, okay. Yeah, well, it's it, not bad. His assist for Matt Target's goal was his 42nd in the Premier League, which is more than any other Villa player in the competition's history, which I found a little surprising. Um, how do you feel about Ashley Young as a United fan, uh, Angelina? Because I, I got the sense that he was a bit of a maligned figure at Old Trafford. Is that right? 
it was a bit of a weird one because when you when you look back, I, I forgot how long he was actually there. To be honest, like <laughs> yeah. he, he just kind of like faded into the background at points. Um, and obviously, you know the uh, the seagull situation yeah. is what he will always be remembered for. I think. Um, <laughs> but um, listen, there were moments when you would see him and think, "Hang on a minute, this guy's actually all right." And then he'd do something in the next game that would completely and utterly ruin any confidence you actually had in him. Um, but I think for Aston Villa, um, I think bring you know he went to Italy, um, you know did did well, and I think that you know bringing in a player with the experience that he's got, I think sometimes that's not always a bad thing. And at the end of the day, if it's working at the moment, I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting. Um, him to be playing in the position that he's playing in. I'm, I am a little bit shocked. Um, but you know what? If if it works, then good for them. And I think, you know, good for good for Ashley Young as well, you know, doing it for the OAPs at 36, you know, showing us that age, age is just a number. Um, and you know what? Props to him. I wasn't a huge, like, I know there was a lot of hateration from some people for Young. Um, my hate was not I don't I didn't have any hate for him so for me I think it's just just nice to see like I say an old man running around doing well good yeah. for him hateration that's a word I've never heard before is that a real Listen, word Mary J Blige oh, just, okay. that's all I need to say fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> yeah it's funny you mentioned the bird shit in his mouth because the worst thing about that is that he claims the bird didn't shit in his mouth it's like we all saw it Ashley <laughs> we just saw it yeah. own it like it happened like so what it's probably it's probably good looking it's okay yeah. yeah like we accept it yeah <laughs> It's uh, Gerard versus Guardiola on Wednesday night, Joel, and they meet again at the Etihad on the last day of the season. The narrative potential is just off the scale, there, isn't it? It's massive, isn't it? Yes. I mean, I mean, maybe maybe not on Wednesday, but you can imagine on that last last game of the season, someone is going to slip at some stage <laughs> and give away a goal, whether it be on Gerard's team or Guardiola's team. Let's hope it's the latter. Um, that remains to be seen but oh yeah I mean the, the Barclays has been working overtime on scripts haven't they and <laughs> I think it's got a special one waiting for us uh, at the end of the season there sure does uh, Palace have conceded 19 goals this season 10 of which have come from set pieces do you think that's the that's the key for Patrick Vieira Angelino he, he solves that problem and, and they're going to have a good season if he doesn't solve that problem it's it's going to be pretty average um, yeah, I would probably agree with that. I think that um, I know that when we were doing our Premier League predictions in the in the studio, I think we were all, you know, kind of throwing a bit of shades towards Patrick Vieira. I think a few people did say that he could be the first manager sacked, yeah. stuff like that. Um, and it's nice to see him doing so well. And it's nice to see Palace doing so well, because I think towards the end of last season, I think when everyone realised how many players' contracts were up, <laughs> there was a lot of... Um, a lot of worry. I I was a little bit worried. Um, and I think to see them doing um, as well as they are doing, I think it's a positive. And I, I agree. I think solving that problem, um, you know, are they going to be in the top four? No, of course not. But um, I think it will be important to them having a good season um, and, you know, trying to finish strong and having something to then build upon next season as well. Yeah, there's just so much more sort of hope and uh, and enjoyment there than there was under under Roy Hodgson last season, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, it's really changed around for them. Uh, Leicester got themselves a much-needed three points when they ruined Claudio Ranieri's return to the King Power with a 4-2 win over Watford on Sunday. Jamie Vardy was saying afterwards that Watford goalkeeper Daniel Backman was trying to get the game called off when the snow started falling. I mean, you can hardly blame him, can you, Joel? <laughs> can't. It was ridiculous. I mean, it's. I mean, the first half, it's it, it's absolutely fine, and it, you know, it's great. And then the second half, you're just like, oh, what's happened here? Um, but like, I, I think I was watching a match today, and you know, 
the commentator was saying, oh, um, you know, Dennis has just scored. I think it's the the one where he chips it over Schmeichel. Yeah. And then I was just like, I'm pretty sure the ball's still stuck in the centre circle there. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure where you're seeing this, goal, this ball going to the back of the net. You couldn't see a thing. I mean, fair play to the commentator and, and the fans being able to, to actually tell where the ball was. I certainly couldn't. And, and, and fair play to the players. I mean, I'm, I'm not actually quite sure whether that game should have continued in in that in that sense. I'm not mm. sure what the rules are on that. I mean, I guess it is okay, and because the game the game did continue and, and finish, but I mean, surely in that situation, it's, it's less than ideal. And you know, on on Sam Backman's stance on that, to be honest, yeah, I don't really know why the Burnley game got called off, but other games had to go ahead. It's usually that fans get into the stadium is a bit of an issue, isn't it? If that's yeah. a problem, then they call the game off. But and I think usually when if if the ball isn't rolling properly, then that is sort of grounds for for the game to be called off as well. But don't get me started on that bloody yellow ball again. I could be here right? <laughs> right raving about that. Uh, Vardy scored twice in this game. James Madison got one as well and a couple of assists for him. How massive do you think an informed Madison could be uh, to Leicester turning their season around, Angelina? Oh, it could be absolutely huge. I mean, there was a time when he was being talked about as, you know, being one of the best in the league. Some people saying he was like one of the best in Europe, all this madness. Um, but, you know... Um, he is, you know, maybe proving a point, you know, maybe after being um, left out, because he was left out against Chelsea, wasn't he? Um, and maybe he feels like there's a bit of a point to prove. Um, and you know what? Good good for him. I hope that he does. And I think definitely one of your um, one of your, your talented players, you want to be playing well. And if he's playing well, then that can only mean good things for Leicester, surely. So can he single-handedly turn everything around? I think that's a bit of a big ask. Um, but to definitely add add some positive vibes to this team, definitely. Yeah, it's I thought it was interesting that we were saying earlier in the season about about Leicester, how they, they, they've got to be playing with uh, with two up top. Jamie Vardy needs some support. And, and yesterday, Ian Acho and Daka just stayed on the bench. Vardy played and had a really good game and linked up really well with Madison. So... It seems like maybe that wasn't the case and, and Brenda Rogers has found a bit of a solution there now. But it's, uh, it's six games in charge of Watford for Claudio Ranieri. Two wins, four defeats. Um, they're either brilliant or they're terrible, Joel. Has it, has it gone better, worse or kind of exactly as you expected so far for him? I mean, as a Liverpool fan, they're doing every reason, every effort to you know be our second team because they've they've smashed Everton and smashed Man United. So uh, <laughs> you know, I love that. I, I love Elson John, um, but I I I think it's gone exactly how I expected. They've had a bit of a bounce, and you can see minor improvements. But uh, you know they're probably losing games that they probably you know, should lose. You know, United game aside, but um, I'm actually quite excited by them. I, I do enjoy watching them at the moment because you know whether it's going to be enough to stay up, I'm not sure. But they've got. Attacking players that are just really quick and and exciting to watch on the break. In like Dennis, like um, you know, Josh King has come back into his own. Uh, Chucho Hernandez is, and Ismail Assar as well. There's enough there for them to you know to, to win games. And the, the the problem is going back. So maybe they are going to have to try and you know outscore teams rather than you know play for your one nils, your two ones, and that's going to be their way home. But I I think they're, they're a little. You know, bits and pieces there to to be excited about and, and to give them a bit of confidence that you know, they can stay up. And I think I've seen enough from them and in their change of manager to to suggest that they have got enough about them. Yeah, yeah. The defended on that first goal was really bad, wasn't it? That's uh, something they need to need to get better at quickly. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Everton have now gone seven matches without a win after they were beaten one 0 at Brentford on Sunday. I'll let you talk about Everton in a second, Joel. But first, I'm going to ask you, Angelina, about Brentford because that was actually their first home win since they beat Arsenal in the first game of the season. 
I mean, there was a point in the season where I thought they looked like part of the Premier League furniture already. They, they've had a bit of a bad run of form. Are you, are you still convinced that they're going to be okay and they'll stay up quite comfortably? Comfortably, maybe not. <laughs> but I, I would like to think that they they would stay up. You know, they're they're in twelfth, um, and I think it's it's more frustrating with Brentford because you know they have got um, you know some some good um, results. You know, obviously that draw against Liverpool obviously beating Arsenal but then you know they've they've lost against teams that you know like Burnley and, and Norwich and you know drawing with Newcastle it's it's just frustrating and I guess that does make you worry because you think you know those are the three teams at the bottom if they're you know managing to beat them or hold them to draws is that maybe the kind of category that they belong in are they going to slip down that far um I'd, I don't I'd like to think not because um especially at the beginning of the season I, I did really enjoy watching Brentford I think that they'll be able to stay up, um, but whether it's comfortable or not, um, I don't know. I think as we get out of this, you know, busy Christmas period, I think we'll probably have a better idea because, you know, they're playing teams like, you know, Leeds United, Watford, that, you know, you would like to think that they'd be able to give them a good run for their money. And I guess maybe we'll see what happens with those kinds of games and it'll give us a better idea. Sure. Uh, Ivan Tony's now taken 13 penalties for Brentford and scored all 13 of them. It was a, a lovely penalty here, just sort of a sort of five aside, one step, gave the keeper the eyes, planted it in the bottom <laughs> corner. W- would that be your technique, Joel, if you were taking a Premier League penalty? Or <laughs> would you more, more sort of close your eyes and hit it as hard as you can? Or would you be a Penenka kind of guy? I try and panaker it. Um, I'm not quite sure the ball would actually make it to the goal. Uh, I'm not actually sure that's allowed, but I would try and panaker it because I'm, you know, I'm all about style. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fair, fair play. I, I could, could imagine you pulling that off. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about Everton then, Joel. How much pressure do you think uh, old Rafa is under at this point? Do you think he'll, he'll still be in charge come the end of the season? I, I'm not sure he's going to make it till past Christmas, to be honest. Um, at, at this moment in time, anyway, after it, it's it's really harsh to sort of judgment moments because they've had so many injuries and you know any, any team misses you know two important players like Richardson and, and Dominic Carvalho they're in for you know you know the period of time Everton have been missing them they're going to struggle and 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 they have been struggling I, I think I mean sort of sort of going back to what I was listening to yesterday the the, the one of the things that you know annoying fans run anything is that the players don't seem to be working at the moment you know for, for the shares and and don't seem to sort of care which is a, a, quite an accusation to throw at to throw at players but it's it's something you hear a lot from from Everton fans that that their players and, and and maybe they're onto something um but it, it, it's just a lack of quality there as well at the moment I mean I, I think with, with Andros Townsend, Damari Gray and, and Alex Wobi there should be enough there to to create enough chances but it's 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 a tricky one. In terms of his job, I I, I really struggle to see him get past Christmas because you know coming up, we obviously got the derby. Which okay, if for a non Liverpool fan, people will be looking down and thinking that's a defeat. But you then got Arsenal, Palace away, Chelsea away, you know, at, at Leicester at home, and then and, you know a trip to Burnley in there as well, which is just you know. Can you see him getting a win from from any of those six? I'm, I'm not too sure mm. at this stage, and unless you can get Gal- Calvert-Lewin and Richardson back as quickly as possible, it's um, it's a glum time. But I don't want to say too much because on Wednesday that could all change. Because you get a win in a derby, which they can very well do. They can make it a horrible game, and you know Michael King can turn up and you know add one in in the 90th minute or something that could easily happen, and then 
you know, we are where we are. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see. That could be some, but yeah, not not too good at the moment. Yeah, it's not ideal having to rely on Solomon Rondon, is it? Because I've, I've quite liked him as a player at his time at Newcastle and yeah. West Brom, but he looks no, like he's he's a bit past it now, doesn't he? He's uh, yeah. lost that kind of burst of burst of pace or power, whatever you call it, that he used to have. Uh, we'll finish today with a quick word on the two nil-nils from Saturday, starting at Carrow Road, where Norwich drew with Wolves. Uh, do you think that's a decent point for Norwich, Angelina, or do you think uh, Wolves were kind of there for the taking and they might live to regret uh, dropping two points? I think when you're in 19th, it's, uh, you know, be happy with the points, to be honest. As much as Wolves haven't been consistent, you know, they are still in sixth. So when you look at it on paper, um, a lot of people maybe were thinking that Wolves could have, um, you know, taken all three points. But, um, yeah, without sounding harsh and that Norwich should be grateful for what they're given, um, I think, um, yeah, I think you've got to look at the positives rather than, you know, is the cup half full or is it half empty? Um, I think just be happy with the point. Just be happy with the cup, yeah. Yeah, you've got a cup. <laughs> yeah, the you've cup. Got a cup of something. They've got a yeah. cup, yeah, exactly. Not can say that, can they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, nice little facts from Richard Jolly on Twitter. He said, "If Norwich beat Newcastle on Tuesday, they will have the most Premier League points in November." Look forward to Daniel Farker and Dean Smith sharing the Manager of the Month award for a month where they both got sacked. That'd be pretty interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, I've been quietly impressed with Wolves under Bruno Large lately, but they've, uh, you know. Well, they won last week, a draw here. Um, between now and the 3rd of January, they've got to play Liverpool, Man City, Arsenal, Chelsea and Man United. So I think we're going we're gonna to learn uh, what they're really made of during that run. Uh, elsewhere, Brighton's 0-0 draw with Leeds means they've now gone eight games without winning, but they're, they're still level on points with Man United in the table. So not doing too badly, I suppose. Thanks for that. Yep, <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate that. Uh, the home crowd at the Amex were booing at full time. Um, Graham Potter said afterwards that he was a little bit perplexed. Uh, they're entitled to their opinion, but I disagree completely, he said. We're sitting eighth in the Premier League, but maybe I need a lesson on the history of this football club. Um, was that a cheeky little dig for you, Joel, or has he got a point there? Do, should should the Brighton fans stay in the lane? It's it's one because I just automatically think of Brighton as is everyone sort of singing the same hymn sheet, and you know that everyone's sort of moving in the right direction there because you know they, you know they finished seventeenth for his first season, improved last season, and sort of you can see that they're, you know they're working towards something, and are sort of they give him part of the keys to, to the stadium, and and you know he's got this plan, and and he's getting linked with all these these good jobs, and and you know everything at Brighton seems to be hunky dory, but. That suggests that maybe you know on Saturday it suggests that maybe it's not the case, and I think it's it's a strange one when a manager fights back at the at the, at the fans like that, and I suggest that maybe something's not all right, you know, everything's not you know rosy in the garden there mm-hmm. because it's it's the, the, the are I think he is right actually because. They are sitting in eighth, and okay, they, you know, but they were touching upon the top four early on in the season. But you know, that was the early days. You know, I'm not sure what else they could be expecting going into December, sitting in eighth, and you know, with a fair chance of of finishing in the top six, which are the they have a shout at the moment. But I guess the thing is, when you play Leeds, if you're drawn against Leeds. It's usually going to be a score draw because Leeds aren't great at keeping the ball out the back of their nets. They're good at scoring down the other end, but it's usually a basketball game. And if you're coming away from a nil-nil with Leeds, the, the, the pressure should be on the other team, I guess, that they've not managed to to break down a defence, which is usually you know open all season. So it's maybe, maybe they're frustrated from that, and it's yeah. it's just a one-game frustration and not a some, saying something underlying, but. Yeah, you know, someone's keeping an eye on that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a bit of frustration that's sort of boiled over over time because they've they've had this problem for a while where they've not been taking chances. They've been playing really well and not been oh, taking yeah, any chances. Absolutely. Haven't they? And this was this was kind of another game there where they they hit the post a couple of times, I think. But it was, 
yeah, they, they should have won it really. And it, I, I suppose you, you would be a bit annoyed having having gone eight games without a win. But yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about them. Um, I am starting to worry about Leeds though, who were pretty poor here. Um, Bielsa started Calvin Phillips at centre back in this game, then took him off at half time. I mean, what's going on there, Angelina? They need him in f- midfield, surely, don't they? Yeah, it was a little bit strange, to be honest. I mean, I know he is a bit of a strange manager sometimes, but um, yeah, it was a little bit bizarre. I mean, at the end of the day, he is, um, you know, the phrase I always use, he's a vital cog in the machine for Leeds. Um, You know, this is, you know, a guy who played in midfield, you know, was at the Euros with England, um, you know, all that. So it just didn't make sense. I mean, I know that he said that it was a question of the function collectively, not a question of the names or whatever his excuse was. I know that quite a few people have been talking about there's maybe something not quite right. Um, that it seems like Phillips is kind of holding his tongue a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you're a midfielder. He clearly doesn't want to play as a defender. He's not a defender. Um, he doesn't, you know, he's a midfielder at the end of the day and that's where it's been working well. So why are we changing things and rocking the boat? Maybe there's something going on that we don't know about. I've yeah. got no idea but it was a little bit of a strange decision. Um, and to see a team that, you know, were, were doing all right last season, to see the decline, you do worry about what's going on behind closed doors. Maybe nothing's going on, maybe they're just terrible. But yeah, it's a little bit strange, I don't know. Yeah, you don't want to alienate him because, you know, it won't be short of uh, suitors if he's on the transfer market. And it, exactly. Uh, I mean, I, I know the, the injuries have been have been a problem for Leeds this season, but you know they, mm. they went into this game only really without Bamford and, and Luke Ayling. I'm not sure that's really an excuse anymore. And I'm not sure why they're playing Dan James at centre-forward either. I don't think that's the smartest idea. So it's, uh, it's a bit strange for them at the moment. I am a little bit concerned about about uh, their Premier League status and and, and where, where they're going under Bielsa but uh, we'll leave it there for this week that will do us thanks to Joel and Angelina for joining me and thank you to everyone for listening we've got a midweek of Premier League fixtures coming our way but we'll be back next Tuesday to once again discuss all the big talking points from the weekend's action so we'll catch you then yeah.